But as we all know, you know, white males are at the 60-yard line. Black folks are, are maybe at the five-yard line right now. So we still have a lot of catching up to do. When you look at who's getting a lot of the deals, there are, they're not black people. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. We welcome one of my favorite chefs in the game, J.J. Johnson, back to the program. J.J. is a James Beard Award-winning chef behind the Fast Casual Restaurant Field Trip and co-author of the cookbook Between Harlem and Heaven. J.J. and I catch up about his time at the Culinary Institute of America and what it was like being one of the few black chefs in the program. We fast forward to the present day and talk about J.J.'s big ambitions with food television and his growing empire of rice-focused restaurants. I love catching up with J.J. whenever I can, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. JJ Johnson, welcome to the Taste Podcast. What's up? I think I last saw you, it was in O'Hare. I think we were both were dining at Chili's solo, both of us, <laughs> like separately. Is that right? That is correct. I mean, sometimes you only have those options. I, I re, you know, we'd just been through the James Beard Awards, and I, we can talk about that. You have a leadership role there. And then I'm I'm sitting there and like we had just had great food and like honoring the best chefs in the in the world and and honestly I'm sitting there and eating at Chili's and like the server was so great and she was so overworked and I was like why can't she be recognized as much as what I just been through I just like it hit me really hard because like that was a tough job that she was going through right there yeah, like yeah, working yeah. like busy breakfast service so I mean I think that's happened across the country right like I as, as I run a fast casual field trip. Um, I mean, I was honored to be, uh, on a, on a list for best chef, New York for field trip, a fast casual restaurant. I don't think there was ever a fast casual restaurant or a chef from a fast casual restaurant ever nominated. And I'm sure Chili should have won a James Beard award, Applebee's, Hmm. McDonald's, all when they first started and before they became humongous, right? They had those moments where they should probably won a James Beard award, but for some reason, they weren't looked at as, like, real food. Yeah. But they are some of the most consistent restaurants in the country or the world. It, it, it respect, exactly. Uh, the, the product is great. And then the, the folks working, like, the chefs, work, the cooks working in the back, too. You yeah. know, g- getting through, like, I mean, talk about the worst diners in the world, like the airport people waiting for their p- flights. No, yeah, yeah, and and you're and you're turning out food within twenty five minutes, yeah, thirty minutes, a couple of beers, slinging a couple of beers, beers, people, yeah. So I, 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 it just like hit me at that moment, and I saw you, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna have you, and we're gonna talk about that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, I look at that all the time when I'm dining and I'm looking at things and who's actually getting recognized versus who actually does get recognized. Absolutely. Well, I, well, well, well let's let's go back. I we you were <clears throat> you're a two-time guest, one of few, so thank you for coming back. You were here in June of 2019 and I think a lot of our conversation I'll link to it was about this this kind of incoming recession. Like the recession was going to happen and this is obviously a lot has happened <laughs> since then uh, uh recession did not happen but we certainly had covid and now we're actually talking about a recession again but how are you doing i'm good you know covid two things you said june 2019 i'm like hold on field trip opened july 2019 exactly. so right before we right were before, talking about yeah, field we're trip. talking about field trip so 
2019 is always like a light bulb that pops in my mind. But I think, you know, right now my career, I'm good. I'm in a, what I call like a unique space. Um, have a fast casual brand that I take really seriously, figuring out how to grow it the right way, make it, you know, profitable, take care of employees, you know, all those, all those things. Like my role as a person, as a chef has changed. But, you know, my family's healthy. The people that I work close with are good people. And uh, I feel like a lot of what I've done in my career over the last 10, 11 years, I, I, the impact some people say, oh, you've had impact. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to see it now, which yeah. is, like, really nice. The, the restaurant field trip is a community-based dining experience that celebrates culture through the shared experience of rice, about rice. And, and, and we can go back to that earlier conversation. Before you opened, we were talking about rice. But let's talk about what field trip is actually serving food-wise. Like what, how is rice being articulated at, on the menu in many different forms? Yeah, so field trip is a rice bowl shop. Our slogan is rice is culture. And every bowl has a different rice grain. So we have Carolina Gold, we have Texas Brown, we have China Black, we have Basmati, we have Jasmine coming soon, we have a bunch of stuff coming mm-hmm. soon. But like, but the idea is that wherever the rice grain is from, we celebrate that culture, so you're actually on a field trip. Yeah. So And most of the grains that come to field trip come directly from the farm, freshly milled. And if they're not freshly milled, then they're not bleached or enriched. So, like, the bigger conversation of Field Trip hopefully is letting people know rice is actually good for you if you get the right grain and if you're not eating this, like, commercial bleached and rich grain that has had this really bad rep, really only here in, in the United States. Everywhere else, people eat rice. is like mm-hmm. It's like a party every day. You have two locations, right? I have three locations. Three locations mm-hmm. now. You I mean U.S. Open tennis tournament? Right, you're opening in the Open soon. Yep. How big can this get? I mean, you're talking about fast casual. You're talking about a, a grain that is pervasive in culture. You use the word chipotle. You use the word sweet green. I mean, how big can this get? I mean, do you have this kind of lined up to become a, a much larger operation, or do you want to keep it small? Uh, I mean, you know me. I'm a big thinker. You are. <laughs> I, I set you up for a great answer about how it won't remain small. Um. <laughs> I think during the pandemic, I realized that field trip was bigger than me. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't just about me anymore. It was about the people that I hire. It's about the people, the communities that we go in. You can directly see the impact of just in Harlem, like this, this corridor of very low-income folks that want to eat better food, and they come to field trip, right? They have the option to eat better. Or even in Rockefeller Center, where people are coming and they don't want to pay $19 for a salad— they come to field trip and they are able to afford something that is affordable. We can debate that, but you know, everything on our menu is under $14. Same thing at the U.S. Open. Like, we ran the numbers yesterday as we start to get started. Like, we sold 2,500 salads mm. at the U.S. Open, where most people believe that everybody wants chicken fingers, burgers, and hot dogs. It's like, no, people don't really want that anymore. They, they'll eat it because mm-hmm. it's, it's in an abundance everywhere. But people want to be able to choose to eat something better. So, yeah, I think Field Trip over the next two years will probably grow to maybe four more locations. And then cool. uh, then I'll run it up. 
uh, you'll double every 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 year, like Shake Shack, like that model. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they did. They they want to double every year. I think they started talking about them like 2008. Yeah. They, they were opening like five Shake Shacks a week or something like that. It yeah. was like something crazy. But no, I'm nowhere near there yet. Maybe no. one day I won't be the person doing that. I'll just be making sure that Hopefully Phil not. Tripp, <laughs> culture stays right. But I think um, I do believe that Phil Trip on the next go round will be fall somewhere between like a hundred million to $250 million brand um, because of what we do around food, people, and culture, and there's not really many other brands do it. They talk about it, but they don't really do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot of talking, and as you get larger, it becomes more difficult. So we'll recognize that. And uh, what's the most popular item on the menu? What like what's really flying off? I mean, what's your guacamole greens? <laughs> uh, always <laughs> the fried chicken bowls always flying off. Ah, cool. Flying off salmon bowls next. Uh, and if we run out of our crab pockets, somebody always wants to fight us <laughs> because we hand make the crab pockets. So. That's Sounds really good uh, right so now. So yeah, the, the crab, crab pockets. Pocket. Yeah, little fresh blue crab meat, house made cream cheese, sweet and sour dipping sauce, similar to like mambo sauce it's out like, of DC. It's crab rangoon. I'm hearing yeah, a little bit, a yeah, little bit, yeah, a, little, a little crab rangoon. But you know, we got we we call it the crab pocket. Nah, definitely agree. <laughs> okay, to the U.S. Open. So the U.S. Open, many don't realize, is the largest sporting event in the world outside of the Olympics. So the largest annual event. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you ever go, I mean, it's like it's millions of people, literally. So it's like the world's largest restaurant. I mean, you're talking about you're doing service for more than any like any space in America. What's it like to run an operation for three weeks? You know, when I first came into the U.S. Open, I never in my whole life ever worked in vendorship. Like, I never was taught that in culinary school. Mm-hmm. I never did it as an internship. Yeah. It's intense. You get an abundance of people at a certain time that you need to figure out how to put out the best possible food all all the time. And for us, we're making, like, we're made to order bowl shop. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not scooping and serving. Yeah, we do scoop and serve, but we're batch cooking items. So the it, 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 becomes, it, it becomes intense. It's like, how do you put out, you know, 55, you know, 1,500 bowls within an hour and a half, mm. um, it, 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 it's hard. But With a staff that, you know, you hired for th- a month. Ex- it's like a temporary ex- staff. Exactly. Oof. I literally was talking to my director of operations <laughs> yesterday, Lisa Cash, and I was like, so I think you should take these five people and they should go set up the U.S. Open because I really don't want to do it. Yeah. You know, like I've done it four times mm-hmm. and I'm like, OK, I got to rent a car. I got to load it up. I got to bring it out. I got to call the moving company. I got to set it up. We got to cook 400 pounds of brown rice, 600 pounds of black rice. It, it's we look at it as fun. And for <laughs> us as a brand, like the other brands that are there have been in business seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, multiple locations. So. I always give a big thank you to the USTA, Levy Food, for, like, believing in myself as a small, independent-owned restaurant to uh, put out high-quality food because they really do care about the food at the USTA. I've definitely—Tony Montuano is there every year, a great Mm -hmm. chef from Chicago, and— the food of the U.S. Open is 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 fire. It's really good. I mean, it's 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 better than you'd expect. I mean, you make a little money, right? This is like a decent bottom yeah, line situation. Yeah, I mean, I run it to make money. Of course. I mean, I'm not. <laughs> I don't want to walk away from there. No. You know, I even tell all my vendors, like, listen, I know you say you only deliver Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, but this is an everyday deliverer. Mm-hmm. I'm about to put a lot of money. This is a good bonus for you. So I look for partners on all ends, and mm-hmm. this year we're using a uh, a new fish company to give them some love. So, you know, it's all about community and, yeah. you know, 
helping uplift other businesses that don't get a chance to come through those doors uh, for us. Definitely, like especially during the late summer, which can be a little bit of a mm-hmm. slow period. We talk about culinary school, so I wanted to go there. You went to the CIA, and you know we've had plenty of chefs on the show who've been who attended Culinary Institute of America. When you were there, were there a lot of black chefs there? Like, uh, like, like, like in school teaching? Like, what was the what was that like? That's so crazy. Yo. Uh, <laughs> there's two black chefs there. Like and literally two. There was two black chefs. Or, you know, two black chefs. One, one, two Asian chefs. What year? I graduated '04. Yeah. So not long that long ago, right? What was that like? Um, it's interesting. I was cooking in a, an Aspen at Food and Wine, and. Um, I did this dinner called Black on Black with all black winemakers or black people, Carmelo's Wine, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade's, McBride sisters. And this young girl at the Jerome Hotel runs up to me in tears mm. and was like, oh, my God, my dad would be so honored right now that you're doing this. And I'm like, okay, who's your dad? He used to be a chef at the CIA. I'm not sure you know him, though. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, my, my dad my dad was one only black chef there. And I'm like, hold on. It was Chef Johnson and then Chef Lopez. Like, who, you're Chef Johnson's, or she's like, no, I'm Lopez's dad, d- daughter. And I'm mm. like, wow, because Lopez passed away oh, man. a couple of years ago. He was an impactful chef there for a lot of people, big mentor. So she was like, he, these are things that he always wanted to see occur. And that's when I was like, oh, maybe I, maybe I'm doing something right, right? Because sometimes you do things and you're like, am I really doing the right thing? Um, but yeah, CIA at that point, there was, I think I was talking to a young, uh, one of our interns that's going to CIA in September at field trip, that there was only little two, two, three black kids in my class. It was me, Carlton McCoy, the master psalm, mm. and a, a kid named AJ who played football at Temple, who was like a, who was a, wanted to be in culinary school. So wow. So graduated Temple and then came to culinary school. So we were three black kids. Katerin Hernandez was Latino. And that was it. That was it. In 2004, you could name the uh, the black and, and and BIPOC community in the CIA on your hand, one hand. Oh yeah, and then everybody wow. that then everybody that was black, like you know, every three weeks, somebody classes come around. So there was probably like a good 35 of us, mm-hmm. and we all were cool. Yeah, we all party together, like Kamal Grant, who's owner of Sublime Donuts. Um, was three weeks ahead of me, who's like one of my closest friends in life. Justin Gaines was six weeks ahead of me. Uh, Big Pat, Lil Pat. Like, I could go through, you yeah. know, I, I know who was there. These are your guys. These are your guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then on top of that, I mean, the women at CIA were also really, it was a very small mm. pot. Maybe there was two women in the class. Yeah. Right? So, like, I, I hear that it's changed. Like, and then I went back for my bachelor's, and it definitely grew a little bit. But it wasn't like something... Where when you go to other colleges that you would see this abundance of of kids of color, mm-hmm. um, and then in the curriculum there was not really much of anything. I wanted to ask about the curriculum yeah. because you know I hear like Dookie Hong, my 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 good friend and co-author on Koreatown talked about the the Asian food chapter was literally. A oh, week. The, yeah, the Asian food. <laughs> it's like a week for uh, Asia? Uh, like, come on. What was it called? Uh, flavors of Asia. Something so it was crazy like, like that. So it was like you learned Indian food one day. Like a day for India. Yeah, Great. Two days for two <laughs> days for Chinese, one day Japanese, one day Korean, Korean, or maybe two days Korean. And 
but it wasn't enough, right? It was taught by uh, Chef Chang. Um, it was taught by another uh, Indian uh, instructor who passed away when I was in school there, and they could never find anybody. Re- like, nobody knew how to cook Asian food or be able to teach it. <laughs> So, I mean, this is what, this is the Harvard. I mean, everyone in the mm-hmm. world considers the CIA the Harvard of, of culinary schools, and it is a great place. I mean, the best chefs in the world come out of there, but the fact that this Asia chapter or this Asia section was a week long is I pretty mean, I, wild. I talk to Tim Ryan all the time, and I'm like, yo, man, you got to like, you got, you have to, if the CIA doesn't change, industry doesn't change. A hundred percent. That's my point. Exactly. The leaders, the thought leaders do not change. Right. right? So like you, you got to put in... You got to put in, like, at least West African cooking, East African cooking. You have to do, you know, Southern food. Mm-hmm. You got to do India by itself, right? Like, the food is delicious. You got to yeah. do Indian by itself. Regional. Regional, too. right? You got to do China. Yeah. You got you to do, Korea, you know, French and that stuff is not going anywhere, right? That's always going to be the foundation. But you got to be able to build on these things because— at one point, you're going to make yourself extinct because young kids will just say, I'm just going to go learn. I'm going to take my grandmother's kitchen or my mom's kitchen, and I'm going to figure out how to make this a, a restaurant. Or I'm going to make this a fast casual takeout joint because I see that's where the industry is starting to lean to, and people want this food anyway, and I only need eight or nine items, and I know how to make this stuff really well. And I'll find my buddy who went to you know, Harvard Business School to, mm-hmm. run, to help me run my business. Sounds like a lot. Of, sounds like a lot of models that are, that popped up. Mm-hmm. I guess another question I have is: if I'm a young student listening to the show, a young culinary student or would be culinary student, how do I learn about like West African food? Is there is there an institute in America? Is there a way to to really focus on the cuisine of Africa, or is that still yet to be codified in America? I think it's still yet to be codified yeah. in America. Yeah. Um, but I do think the greatest thing about CIA is you go there and when it's time to go on your externship, you can pick wherever you want to go. It's not like other culinary schools that tell you where to go. So if you're really interested in West African food, tell CIA to get your improved externship in West Africa to cook, right? In Ghana and Nigeria yeah. or, you know, or South Africa yeah. or Morocco, right? Go to, go just like people go to Italy and France, go to those places or find a restaurant here in the States that reflects that and make an improved extern site. Fair. And, and you know, not trying to be hard on CA because it's a difficult task. And, and it is true the externship is uh, driven by the by the student. So you can really focus on that. But I wanted to ask you about CA because it really is um, changing, right, the way evolving the CIA. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it, it was at Leadership Awards. I'm, I'm pretty in tune to – kind of things going on over there. I think, the you know, they're, they're just light, light speeds ahead yeah. of any other institution. And just like Harvard or MIT or Stanford, right, Princeton, they, have, they just have to step up in the ways where they know they're weak, and that's only going to make them stronger. Mm-hmm. And also young kids want it, right? The young kid coming from South Korea or North, you know, coming to school there, or China coming to school there wants to learn about other food, right? Or the kid coming from Pennsylvania like myself where I was the worst kid in my culinary class is leaning on CIA to teach me, right? So I have all the tools in the toolbox to go into the Mm -hmm. industry. So adding a couple additional tools isn't going to hurt. 
another organization that you're involved with is the James Beard Foundation. And, and you know, we were talking about Chicago in the open, and, and I saw you on the stage at the Media Awards, you're on stage at the Chef Awards, and you're involved in the organization. I'd like to, to find out about, you know, the organization in general. I mean, there's been a lot of change there. There's been a lot of evolution there. And I know you don't work for the James Beard Foundation, so this is not an official line, but I'd like you're involved. You're there. You're making change. Has the organization um, been able to kind of um, steady the ship a bit since, you know, after a kind of a couple of really kind of checkered years? Yeah, I mean, I think, they, I think they've done a good job uh, out the gate. They changed leadership. You know, it starts there. So if you look at the leadership pool, it's a very diverse leadership pool within the, in the foundation, right? Uh, you look at their board of trustees. They went out and found people that care about food from all walks of life. Um, yeah. So I think I, I think for me, I think year three will really see what they what they put together. Uh, year five will really be the def- definition of like who the James Beer Foundation is, and they're going to try really hard to keep it diverse, right? To make sure the people mm-hmm. that are out there voting or looking for food is going to go in every nook and cranny in that market to find people that are doing an extraordinarily amazing job. But as we all know, you know, white males are at the 60-yard line. Black folks are are maybe at the 5-yard line right now, so we still have a yeah. lot of catching up to do. And when I mean that, when I break it down, like when you look at who's getting a lot of the deals, and we'll just use New York City as an example, the most diverse place in America— but when you look at who's getting deals, development deals, hotel deals, it is not it there there are they're not black people, mm. right? So and when we when when black people are trying to go raise money, they only have but so much tools to go raise money. So the table will always be at the 60 yard line with yeah. everybody else. And that's something that I just stress with the foundation is like you can you can push, but if there's not people cooking or owning restaurants. It's going to be really tough. Um, it doesn't matter how much work you do, uh, because even somebody like me, I'm not. I'm not. You know, people aren't banging on my door giving me hotel deals, and I've been nominated for Rising Star. I've been. I mean, I've been shortlist, longlist Rising Star. Yeah. I've been longlist and shortlist for Best Chef New York. JJ, your food is delicious. Let's just be f- you know, clear. Yeah. And, and, it's, and these aren't just like hollow <laughs> words. Like your food is dope and you are creative and you are expressing culture through delicious food. Not easy in this world of like, you know, social media and like mixed messages and appropriation. And I, I just said a bunch of words, but I, I feel like when it comes down to the food needs to be really good and yours is good. So, I pre- Thank you very much. Yeah, sure. And so it sounds like the James Beard Foundation, one thing that could potentially help is if there was a fund, if there's a way to get, you know, investment into the black community, Asian community, community that you're speaking. Yeah, yeah, Native, women, you know. Female, I, yeah. yeah. Female I, founders, I, I think, yeah. I think they're working on that. I, you, I do see a lot of grants popping around from time to time. Uh, they do have this what, fellows program now. So they're doing the work. And, and I mean, that's all you can ask somebody to do mm-hmm. uh, is do the work. And why I say like year three and five, we'll start to even it out because I also do believe that in the past, people were winning awards that weren't the best. And now you're going to start seeing people get nominated that are just the best. And at one point, and this is what I'm hopeful on, at one point you won't be like, oh, Dan won because he's white or JJ won because he's black or... Kara one because she's 
a woman, right? You'll just be like, yo, their place is freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. The food is in- impeccable. The service was great. And like everybody should go there. And the other four people also are amazing. And they're probably <laughs> going to win sometime soon too. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think a lo- we, that's what was lost. And I think that's what they're really trying to uh, build back up uh, in the categories ac- across the game. Because like, I think like best new restaurant category for me, I was like on the edge of my seat. I'm like, okay, I've been to like five of these places and they're all <laughs> really good. The other ones, I just haven't been to that part it's of the It's a really, yet. really stacked deck. You know, so. That's a tough, that's a tough, tough, tough you know, category. We talked about New York. Like, I mean, I love Adam X. I love Amanda Cohen. Yeah. Like, I love. Dirt Candy, love man. These, what a like, great place. Like, I love, I, they're all doing like, so, and it was, it was a mixture of like what New York looks like. Yeah. Right? I, what it feels like from the high to the low to the type of people. So it was like, we were all were winners. I know we all wanted to win the medal, but f- we all were winners. I feel Amanda Cohen needs to get it one year. Well, she has to get it. I thought it was last year was her year. I thought it was her year too. Um, I'm a voter and, and I'm definitely a fan. So I'll just say it, leave it at that, but we'll see. Well, I'm a fan of hers. I literally, she said, she sat in front of me Yeah. and I was behind her. And when it came, she looked behind me. And I was like, you're good. You're and good. she was like, no, you're good. And then we both didn't <laughs> win. We're like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> who won? I forget. I'm sorry. Who ended up winning? Cause I, um, the chef from Damaka, is that how you say it? Oh the, yeah. Damaka. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. Good one. Yeah. As I said, stack deck. JJ, what's the biggest challenge of running a restaurant in New York right now? I mean, it, we've got like raising food costs and, and you're talking mm-hmm. about Everything is under $14 at, at Field Trip, but there's got to be challenges left and right. Oh, food costs. Center. Food costs is, is insane right now. Yeah. Like, we look at it every day because before when you ordered food, you were like, okay, chicken is $1.99. <laughs> and if the price went up, your your salesperson would call you like, hey, chicken price is going to go up in like two or three weeks. You order chicken today. Mm-hmm. It's like Fat Joe, the price one, the price, the yesterday's price, not today's price. Yeah. Right? And it's like, yeah, that's what it is. Like edamame beans were $63 a case, yes, on Friday. No, no, last week, Friday, whatever Friday. And we, I was like, we're not, we went to 128 a case. What? Oh. And we were like, yeah, we're not, I'm, not, I'm going to peas. Yeah. I'm just going to fresh peas. Yeah. It's $30 a case. It's the season for peas. We'll revisit edamame beans. So now it's like, really engineering the menu for potentially what works to keep us at that point. But I'm nervous. Like, I don't think I, only way I believe I can raise my prices if Burger King or McDonald's raises their price to the Big Mac is like $13, $14. And the field trip bowl becomes $18. That's an interesting point. So that is a real um, benchmark for you is like the fast food or Taco Bell, for example. I mean, I read an article today, Taco Bell's sales were bananas last month and they made all this money. And it's like, okay, so where are you buying your food because or, – or, or were your prices just locked in? Was EBITDA up too? Was, I mean, revenue yeah, – yeah. so everything, everything was, up. was up. So they must mm-hmm. have like a locked-in price system. But I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. We're, we're going to see how this all plays out over the next six I mean, months. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, we used to run – Field Trip used to run – used to be between 18 and 22% of food costs. We're now – Which between, is high. Which is high. Quality. No, high quality. That's yeah. a high quality. 18 to 20 is high. Yeah, and then now we're at like 26 to wow. 30. You know what I mean? I mean, iced coffee is like $6.70 for like a medium coffee, and I'm not complaining. I'm just making that note it's in New York. That's what we're paying right now. It's like dramatic. No, it is. Increase. A cocktail, margarita is 20 bucks. Has to spots. be. It's crazy. I mean, 10, 10 is like is like the bottom for a cocktail. See, I would love to be like, listen, if you're charging that much money— Let's say inflation is the the reason, mm-hmm. but I would rather you put your price really up 
and then make sure everybody get getting paid amazing salary versus the price is just going up and everybody has to stay at the same rate. And I all I could keep thinking about is like my grandfather as a kid being like, gas used to be 50 cents <laughs> a gallon. And this is when gas was $1.99 a gallon. Mm-hmm. He was saying this, like, I can't believe gas was... But it's like, so did his wage go up or did people just adjust? Like, how did it all play itself out? Because we're really seeing it. You know, I was in Pennsylvania the other day. It was $5 a gallon. Yeah. And I don't drive. And I was like, woof. Yeah, it's, the gas tough. prices are tough. I, I mean, we talk about it a bit on the, on the show. Uh, you know, diners maybe don't need to dine out as much and just pick the places where mm. they really want to go and, and make it a real – not even like a treat, but like make it a little more special and, and or dine out the same amount and just put pay more money for food. I mean, that's that's the other. I mean, I think I think you're right. I think we're going to I think I, I think what I'm seeing is and I'm seeing what airlines I'm seeing what hotels, right? It's like we rather do half the amount of people and pay every and everybody pay double the price. And hopefully we give you a better experience. Right. And I think there's a lot of restaurant models that are going to do that. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of that with, with a lot of restaurants at Rockefeller Center where it's like where we don't really want to do the mass. Mm-hmm. We want to do these very clean flavors. Like I think La Rock is going to be one of those places. La Rock, I was going to say, have you yeah, been? I've been. Looks great. It looks great. Yeah. It's pricey. Sure is. And but as we're talking about, it, yeah. you need to charge the 35% so, food costs. Exactly. So you it. will... So I think you'll see a place like that where the old restaurant Rockefeller Center that was in that space was doing 800, 900 people, right? They'll do 300, 350, steady, clean, waitlist, and it'll be out the door. They'll take some walk-ins here and there, and people will pay for it. It'll be a special occasion. You'll make, you mm-hmm. might go if you're a New Yorker four times a year. Um, but I think especially if you're opening a restaurant right now, you have a better advantage than somebody that, that has uh, have their foot in, in, in the grass. Let's pivot to cookbooks. We're right at the season, and we're we're talking a lot of cookbook authors are in the, on the show, and it's a big season. Are, are you you you've done your own books, and and you and we'll ask at the end of our end question about your future books. But tell me, are there any cookbooks that really stick out in your mind that you return to that you enjoy? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're an author, so you know what's I have good. So many cookbooks in my house because my wife should. my wife is over it. Yeah, um. it's tough. I have, I have my <laughs> wife as well is over. I mean, it really does. I mean, they're they're thick. They're heavy. They pile high. I actually read cookbooks <laughs> to my kids before they go to bed oh, sometimes to like appreciate food and yeah. like listen to stuff. If they don't like, they're like interested to in see these pictures. I love that. Um, oh, whose book I love that just recently came out? Uh, it's about on the spot. I know. Shoot. It's tough. But where I return to, I think I think classic cookbooks is Aquavie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good one, man. I haven't uh, thought about that book in a minute. You know, Thomas Keller's yeah, uh, French Laundry. Um, I always pick up Culinary Artists, mm-hmm. the book to help you with flavors and kind of get your brain thinking. You uh, Atchison's book. Which uh, one? There's a lot. I know. Well, there's he had an Instapot book, he had a sous vide book. He's had this one's about American South. Oh yeah, his, yeah, that book was cool. That book is great. Yeah. It definitely ripped. It's definitely ripped up a lot. But I, I yeah. use that. Have you checked out Michael Twitty's rice book? I did. I did. It was a small, you know, it's just a t- touches the surface a little bit, you yeah. know, on the rice stuff. But Michael, I, I mean, Michael Twitty's uh, first book is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he sent me the rice book because he knows uh, I love rice. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's a little, it's a, it's a small, uh, a small book. Yeah. Small book. Uh, yeah. Jessica Harris, High on the Hog. Yeah. Uh, recently, been reading that again since television show. 
Uh, but no, there's so many there's so many good books out there. But uh, what's her name's book? Who's all about? It's not Middle Eastern food. It's like it's the, the diaspora of. Oh, Reem's Reem's book. Yeah, yes. yeah. is great. Wonderful book. Great book. Arabaya. We, we Reem is on the show. It may appear before or, or slightly after this episode. So check that out. We talk about television, and you host your own television shows, and you've appeared in many television shows. You're great. Thank you. Great on television. Real fan favorite. What's your dream television project? Tell me. Oh, Let's man. go there. Oh, man. I, I mean, listen, I love my, my TV show Just Eats on Clio TV. Sure. Is, is, we're on our fifth season. Well, fourth season. I said my fifth season. Fourth season. Yeah. I hope fifth season Jump, Jumping ahead. You're trying to sign that contract <laughs> right now is in, in real time. Um, but, you know, I always give a big uh, shout out to TV One, Powerhouse Productions for mm-hmm. believing in me for doing a show like that. Um, I think for me, my dream show is definitely some type of travel component. I think I've been to a lot of places in the world where most people haven't been and experienced food. And I think my perspective on food and culture and people is very different than anybody mm-hmm. else's. Um, and I know travel shows aren't the thing right now because everybody always gets compared to the great the Anthony great Bourdain. TV. But yeah. it is, for me, it's like I want to hit people with a little different perspective on it. Uh, fun. So I would say that's a dream one. But, you know, I, I was just I'm in this recent season of Street Food. Um, as a moderator on um, on for New York, mm-hmm. and I think the biggest thing that I try to tell people on that on that episode is like, so what's New York street food or what's American street food? It's like it's halal guys, it's soul food, it's mech tamales, yeah. it's a chimichurri in Washington Heights. You know, yes, it's hot dog, it's pizza, and all those other things. But New York is filled with so many great people. Berea trucks are everywhere. Exactly. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, TV for me is something that I've been able to be fortunate to be a part of. But I always believe in the food. And the, I think now in my career, when people are able to see me on television, they're able to come eat at the restaurant, yeah. which is a great marketing tool. Very similar, I look at as the, the infamous Wolfgang Puck has been able to do in his career. Yeah. Speaking of uh, influence and, and dr- driving folks to your restaurant, do you mess with TikTok? You know, we're starting to play, we're starting to dibble and dabble in yeah. TikTok. You know, I think every social media platform is uh, driven by food. Like, uh, oh, it's it's absolutely agree. It's it's what everyone goes to social media I, for. Yeah. I mean, baby, baby photos maybe for on Facebook <laughs> for the olds, the older gen. But food, you're right. Like everyone wants food on TikTok and Instagram. So, yeah, you know. Snap. We, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do on there. We got, I got to be committed to it, but yeah. we're going to start building that out and uh, stay tuned. I love this conversation about, about pop culture and media with you because you're, 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 always, you're always in the mix for years. And it's just because you're talented. Um, got to ask the, the, the requisite question this summer is have you watched The Bear? So I haven't fully watched it yet, but I, I, I watched a, one, two episodes, a couple clips. When I saw, I'm going to put it, be really honest, when I saw the preview, I literally ran it back. Mm. I was like, yo, this is legit. Like the intensity, the view in first person, the cooking. I think my favorite part, the favorite scene of the bear, we talk about it. Because we had a bear incident at Field Trip. You had a little bit of a snafu with the ordering system? No, we didn't have that. Somebody spilled (laughs) the sauce. Oh, that one. There's a lot of incidents on the show, to be honest. But that that scene where she's in the walk-in and she's like looking around and then she knocks it over and she's like trying to scoop in and then he walks in. Like that happens to, that has happened to every chef, cook, dishwasher, prep cook, runner, busser in their career. 
So for me, I think they hit home uh, well on a lot. Um, but we, somebody <laughs> dropped, somebody in a field trip dropped 44 courts, 22 courts of Perry Perry, 22 courts Ooh. of Green Curry. I don't know what they were doing. Slippery. I, I wasn't there. I know my director of operations slippery. was not happy. Very slippery. The, epi- the, the, the scene, uh, for, for those who haven't watched, is uh, the, the character is reaching on a high shelf for some stock, and there's a bit of an accident. It's tr- is it triggering to like the the days of your being a young cook and being in kitchens that are people are screaming and yelling? I mean that's that was that's a, that was a culture. You yeah. go back, you go back. You talk about we go back to culinary school, right? A lot of people define the culture that because it happened in culinary school, right? That's where you were taught. There's French chefs screaming at you. I remember being screamed at, right? And then you go into the industry and then you're being screamed like that was a culture. I mean, even for myself, like. I probably say like the when I was a, at the Cecil, you know, I come from a sports family, so like a basketball coach is screaming at you to motivate you yeah. was the way. That's how I used to motivate my team. I used to scream, right? But if I did scream at you, I would talk to you at the end of the shift and like, hey, this mm-hmm. is why I got upset. Mm-hmm. Because as a young cook, when I used to get screamed at, I'd be like, yo, why is he screaming at me? Yeah. I didn't think I there did was no explanation. Wrong. No, it was like just show up tomorrow, you should be okay. Nah, yeah. Right for today. me, it was like, hey, hey, Tiffany, I screamed at you because of mm-hmm. this, or I lost my cool because of this. Uh, hope you didn't take it personal, but I was just trying to push us through the situation. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think they've done a good job on the show. It actually has made me think about developing a show like that from a different perspective of like the only black chef in the kitchen, the only black employee, and like what that looks like because we hear a lot of people talk about it. Right, what they've went through, what it is, how this could be, um, but yeah, we uh, there's a lot of things in my mind. I think we're gonna see a lot more food shows. I agree. It's like in ER this, back yeah. in the mm-hmm. '90s when everyone wanted to be a doctor after watching that. So like, we haven't had this moment in culture where actually cooking is is legitimately cool. I mean, we had like the Bourdain stuff, but that's a little more adventure travel. But like real, like but work- so many people are watching. Like my this- sister in law is like, "Yo, does this really happen in the? Does kitchen? this really happen? Right? Like, yo, did you see this?" <laughs> But then we also have a movie coming out about food too that Dominique Crem is a part of, right? Yeah. So like you are going, we're going to see much more food in this very high regard. It's getting better to get better, and it also I think it will change the way people view the food industry. Do you think you're going to scream at the U.S. Open? No, I'm like I don't I don't scream like that anymore. I mean I'm just this is like real talk. I mean like it, I push it if I'm screaming I'm like yo let's go. No, it's like motivation. Motivation, yeah, yeah, yeah. no. We uh, I'm, I'm screaming with you and not yeah. at you. But I mean like listen, my director of operation Lisa Cash, she's worked on. I would say like if there's one thing that she's worked on with me, she would say listen, you can't say like, and she's been in the restaurant industry way longer than me. Yeah, and she's like listen, people don't respond well like. Some people can take it, but they don't respond well to those words, right? So, like, if you lose it, like, use different words. <laughs> they don't respond well. Um, and she's right. And um, and I think that's going to make it, I think that's why the culture at Field Trip is really well, because we really pay, pay attention to how we talk to folks. Um, I think we extend ourselves out a lot to people, because we, we understand that people go through personal issues. Mm-hmm. You have HR there? We don't have it yet, but we will have it soon. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we, we need it. Yeah, but I, I, you talk about HR. I, I think my next big hire for field trip will probably be a social worker. Interesting, yeah. Where, Makes sense. you know, like they have an office. Anybody can go knock on their door. They can sit down and talk to them. 
about whatever they want to talk about. That I don't. I don't need to know. Mm-hmm. And I look at that like billions, how billions has this has her in, in the series and they lose a lot of money and they have somebody to talk to or they're trying to motivate somebody. And the food, I think the food industry needs that. And that'll probably be the next big step for field trip. We will hire a social worker. Well, it's an empathetic approach to have counseling on staff and mm-hmm. have someone who actually speak outside of leadership and speak to the confident. Or when you go to HR, you're just going there because you think, because you believe that, oh, you're in trouble. Yeah. Or... I'm filling out paperwork, or maybe I'm getting a raise. But this is like, hey, the mm-hmm. door's open. They'll have another. They'll have another role than just that. But they'll be a big contributor to what the organization looks like as we grow. The people part of restaurant running is just cannot be stated enough how difficult and challenging it is to to staff and to to kind of have that that balance, right? That equilibrium within your yeah, your restaurant. I, yeah, and I think a lot of folks that used to work in some restaurants don't want to work there anymore because they just weren't treated well. Mm-hmm. Right. Or they just didn't get promoted because they looked a certain way or they, yeah. you know, I, and I think um, not to say that we don't struggle, but we do have a pretty good retention rate. Our, our, I would say our highest struggling is like finding a manager that understands fast casual because you might have been a chef or kitchen manager in a full-service restaurant, then you come here, you're like, okay, I got to deal with people. Mm-hmm. A lot. And I got to deal with food. I got to yeah. deal with volume. So mm-hmm. you got to kind of, we're, we're trying to find out who that person is. We're fortunate to have a young lady in Harlem named Patricia that's been with us for a minute mm-hmm. that is uh, doing an amazing job and runs that location. And now at Rockefeller Center, we've just, you know, that's our highest turnover point just to be vulnerable and say it, right? But we're, we're trying to figure out who 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 is the who is a field tripper. Yeah, you know? I love that. I love that field tripper. It's great. It sounds like this is this is going to be the future. I love it. I'm glad we're putting doing this in 2022 because we'll have you back in 2024, <laughs> couple couple years, and see where field trips at. Appreciate that, JJ. We asked all guests in the Taste Podcast if you could work on a cookbook or food culture book project without the burden of budget, meaning you have unlimited money, or the burden of time, meaning you have no deadline to, to actually get it done. But you know, all the time in the world, I'll say, what would that project be? It would be my rice book right now. Okay, okay. No, okay. no, I'm being serious. Like, I thought I could write a rice book with 100 recipes about rice and culture. And every time I'm like, I think I got all the recipes, I'm like, hold on, I just, I need to add another 10. So you're on contract another right 20. now writing something? Yeah, I'm in, uh, I'm in the final stages. They come when, out 2023. 23, who's the publisher? A Flatiron. All right, and and so that's your dream. We'll have you back to talk about rice. So how many recipes are you doing? I think it's like 110. Yeah. But, it's, but, but. I could probably do like six volumes of a rice book. <laughs> I know. Because it's just, it, you, every every culture has rice. It might be the same rice, but it has something slightly different in it, which makes that rice unique to that culture or the cooking style. It might look the same, but yeah, um, but yeah, that, that's, that's, that's what I'm working on. And, and after that, a bunch of other books, but unlimited time. You know, I want to get stuff out. I'm ready. I'm, I'm a progression guy. So yeah. I need progression in life. I like that. Do you have a kimchi fried rice, kimchi bokumbap recipe I happening? Have, I have. I think I have. I got to think right now. I think I, I, I've been bop and I have kimchi rice. I yes. don't know if I have kimchi fried rice. I, I'm sure kimchi, it's kimchi rice, kimchi. I might have it fried or I might have it where I take the kimchi liquid. And cook the rice in it because I, oh, like yeah. I like to do that from time to time. That's cool. I like that look. So that is definitely not kimchi bokumab. It's a totally different thing. That's great. I can't wait to see this yeah. book. JJ Johnson, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. The Taste Podcast is hosted by me, Matt Rodbard. It's produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumber. Theme music by Steve Rydell. 
Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.